Welcome to the Empowered Author Podcast. Discussion, tips, insights, and advice from those who've been there, done that. Helping you write, publish, and market your nonfiction book. Being an author is something that you've got to take seriously. I'm proud. I've written a book. What does the reader need first? What does the reader need second? What happens if you start writing your book before you identify your why? What's the problem with that? You're an indie author. You take the risk. You reap the rewards. You are in charge of the decisions. You're the head of that business. Every emotion you're feeling when you're writing is felt by every other writer. The Empowered Author Podcast. Your podcast hosts are Bonnie and John Wagner Stafford of Ingenium Books. Hi there. Today on our podcast, we're going to be talking about a few things, plagiarism, original content, and copyright. There have been a few stories that have come up in the last month uh, that have underlined and brought to the forefront some of the problems that authors like yourselves and ourselves could run into in these categories, plagiarism, copyright, and original content. And uh, Bonnie's got some examples, uh, or excuse me, Bonnie has uh, some stories that she'd like to share with us that are uh, demonstrating some of the problems that we can run into and of the problems that others have run into um, with plagiarism, etc. So, Bonnie, why don't you tell us a little bit about one of these stories uh, called uh, Who is the Bad Art Friend? It was first published by the New York Times in October, and we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. Yeah, so there's actually the two stories that uh, prompted us to have this conversation today um, that came in, were published around, when, when I became aware of them anyway, was in October of 2021. And you mentioned we're recording this at the beginning of November, but the the, the issues that they raise are timeless. So the two stories are who is the bad art friend, which, as you mentioned, was published by the New York Times on October 6, 2021. The second story is Bloomsbury withdraws Hague cookbook after copied content com- uh, claim. Now, I'm not 100 percent sure who is the first to publish that story, but I do know that it's appeared in a number of outlets from the bookseller to the Guardian and more. And the connecting tissue between these two stories and why we're talking about it right now is plagiarism, original content, and copyright. Well, let's talk about Bad Art Friend. Give us a high-level gist of what the issues are all about here. Yeah, so this is a really complex uh, story, and I'm not going to do justice to the whole thing. Um, You've probably heard about this or read some of the stories, but in short, it is about two authors, Don Dorland and Sonia Larson, and they spent time together in a writer's group over the years and uh, moved on to their respective lives, and Don Dorland um, proceeded to donate a kidney to a stranger. She set up a a Facebook group where she shared elements of her progress. She wrote a a letter to the recipient of her kidney, who was a stranger. If I didn't mention that already, she didn't know this person. Um, And the other author, Sonia Larson, was in this group 
Uh, and Don Dorland learned sometime later that Sonia Larson had written and published a short story that featured a character who had donated a kidney. And it featured a letter written by the kidney donor to the recipient. And when Don Dorland discovered this, she um, found extraordinary to her similarities between this character that Sonia Larson had created and her own experience. And things kind of got worse from there. And uh, this issue has ended up in the court and raises the specter of who has the right to our stories, who has the right to write about our stories. And this really is worth talking about because as writers, we use real life to inform the stories that we create. And whether we're writing fiction or nonfiction, it, it is the information we receive from others uh, that, that provide the raw material for, for what we what we write. Well, this is problematic because don't we all write about our personal experiences? When I'm writing uh, in my my little fiction world, I'm writing a little bit about you know what I did when I was a kid and how I felt when I was doing this and doing that. Um, everyone's going to go through the same problem. Well, you're absolutely right, and uh, the the challenge is less about when we we're writing our own experiences, but when we are borrowing the experiences of others. And I'm sure writers will recognize uh, character development lessons, for example. You, you, at least I have been uh, privy to advice that says, you know, to, to develop your character, look around and absorb the, what you see in the, in the, in the people around you. What are their character traits? How do they walk? Um, what are the emotional wounds that they might be carrying around and, and that are contributing to their behaviors? And so it's by observing that we are able to breathe life into our characters. And that's, that's on the fictional side. But nonfiction as well, and in nonfiction, memoir in particular, you know, you write, these are my experiences, but these are the characters in my world. And on one hand, it is not realistic or reasonable to paint all those characters in our nonfiction as Pollyanna-ish, perfect, wonderful, we are all flawed human beings, but I guess this story about the bad art friend between Don Dorland and Sonia Larson is a cautionary tale about how do you portray your characters when they are based on real life and how careful do you need to okay. be? Okay, <clears throat> let's talk about the other story, the other issue that comes up uh, here Oh, just sorry. One other thing that I wanted to illuminate about before we move on to the next one, which is why this was a problem between Dorland and Larson. And this is what we're talking about. It's it's we, we kind of brought it to a certain point, but I didn't take it fully. So I said, you know, use caution when you're portraying someone else or when you're borrowing characteristics or motivations from someone else and to use caution when it is someone, you know, uh, what happened 
was that Dorland, when she donated her kidney, she viewed her behavior as being altruistic. She wanted to feel good about helping save the life of someone else by selflessly donating a kidney to a stranger. Sonia Larson, as Dorland and her lawsuit alleges, took the circumstances but ascribed negative motivation to it. She wrote that the character was motivated by narcissistic uh, tendencies um, and race issues were brought into it. So I'm not going to get into all of that, but but it is really a fascinating uh, story to listen to and read. So the New York Times, as we mentioned, published this story on October 6th of 2021. And uh, the New York Times, the daily podcast uh, on one of their Sunday podcasts in the month of October 2021. You can go and find it. There is an audio version of that story, and it's really interesting and illuminates uh, much more detail than we can go into here. But okay, so that's what all I wanted to say on that one. We can now move on to the next one. Let's pause for a moment for a message from our sponsor. Writing your book is only part of your publishing journey. It's important to find the right team to help make your book's message shine through with clarity while preserving your native voice. Pico's House has a team of editors, beta readers, and proofreaders ready to help. Visit Pico's House at www.picoshouse.com to inquire. That's P-I-K-K-O-S-H-O-U-S-E dot com. Now back to the podcast. All right. So the next one is interesting. There's There was a cookbook that was authored by a London chef, Elizabeth Hay, published by Bloomsbury. And it has been uh, now withdrawn due to some rights issues. And as I get it, uh, Sharon, we wrote uh, and authored uh, Growing Up in Nonia's Kitchen. Is that Nonia? Nonia's Kitchen. And she's alleging that... Um, Elizabeth Hay has plagiarized or copied some of her cookbooks. So this is a cookbook that was published by Bloomsbury, and now they've withdrawn it because of a plagiarism suit or issue. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so this scenario is uh, Sharon Wee's book, uh, Growing Up in a Nonia Kitchen, I think is the name. It was first published in 2012. It's both a cookbook and a memoir. And the cookbook that Elizabeth Haig wrote that was published earlier in 2021 is called Macan, M-A-K-A-N. And let me just read you one of the passages that uh, Sharon Wee alleges has been plagiarized to a degree in Haig's book. So this is the passage. I want you to listen closely here. This is one of the passages from Sharon Wee's 2012 Growing Up in a Nonia Kitchen. The quote begins, My mother, like many of her friends, placed their most frequently used condiments and ingredients within easy access while they cooked. That often meant a plastic tray where there were small bottles of soy sauces, sesame oil, and jars of minced garlic, 
salt, and sugar. In the past, there would also have been a metal container to hold recycled cooking oil. Okay, that was Sharon Wee, a little passage from her 2012 book, Growing Up in a Nonya Kitchen. That's the original book. Now, here is one of the passages that Sharon Wee says is uh, inappropriately similar. This is from Elizabeth Haig's cookbook, Macan. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Macan right. But the quote begins, My mother kept her most frequently used condiments and ingredients within easy reach of where she cooked. That often meant a plastic tray full of little jars of oils, crispy fried shallots or garlic, crushed garlic, salt and sugar. There was also usually an old metal pot for recycling or discarded frying oil. So you can see that there are strong similarities. My mother placed their most frequently used condiments, kept her most frequently used condiments and ingredients within easy access, within easy reach. So I'm not going to dissect each uh, uh, excerpt there, but you can see that excerpt in one of the articles that was published about this uh, where is this one from? This is the Eater London publication from a story October 12th, 2021 by James Hansen. London chef Elizabeth Haig's cookbook withdrawn after plagiarism allegations. So it's an issue. And uh, we are all familiar as, as authors with doing research, looking at what other people have wrote, have, have written, uh, what we find through Google search, research materials, and of course we reference and we cite, but our own work must be original. It's not enough to change a word here or there. This is not a new problem. This has been going on for ages and ages, and it is still uh, happening as of last month. These two articles are just hot off the press. Uh, we need to just be aware and pay attention. It is not a new issue. It is why copyright laws were first introduced back in the 1700s in, in the UK. Uh, so, so being able to claim and protect our own original work, our intellectual property via copyright, that's why copyright exists. But I think one of the things that has happened is an increasing appetite for content, we're moving faster. We're, uh, you know, we're we're seeing more bits of information. We've got video and internet and books and audio and all the different formats. And this takes me back to a day when I was still in television journalism, and I was working in the CBC Vancouver newsroom in Vancouver, Canada, and it was the late 90s, and the news director at that time said uh, something to the effect of, there was some big change in our programming, or in, I don't know, I forget what it was, but he said, this marks a significant change. Content is going to be king. We need to produce more content, and at the time, I was like, whoa, how can we be doing that more? How can we be doing any more than we are? 
it all sounded like gobbledygook then. I was like, content, what do you mean? Even though, you know, I was creating the content every day and the stories I was researching and writing and presenting on the air, but that was such a strange content. Now we're not so unfamiliar mm -hmm. with it, but we've got internet, social technology, our own voracious content consumption habits. Uh, and at the time, you know, there's a, we have a blog post in from on the Ingenium book site from December of 2017. And at that time, every minute, more than 1440 new WordPress posts, 3.3 million Facebook posts and 500 hours of YouTube video are created every minute. That was three years ago, so that has only accelerated. That does not speak to the content pressure on authors, but I believe it is part of the same realm. We're juggling many things. We're accessing information all over the place. If we are not disciplined with keeping track of where we are accessing our reference information, I think that it is more likely we will find ourselves in some trouble. Yeah, yeah. And is there anywhere we can go as authors to, you know, check uh, whether some of the stuff that we're writing has been used before or um, how would I approach? I've just written a paragraph or, a, you know, half of my book and I want to just check some stuff. How do I do that? Yeah, that's a great question. And yes, there there is. I don't know how fail safe that these are, but there are sites like Copyscape and others, and you can do a, a Google search to find, you know, plagiarism checker or or something like that. Um, and you can enter passages, and and it'll do us, they'll do a crawl of all internet uh, sites and see if they're if it shows up that this content exists anywhere else. But where where that causes some trouble, I don't know how those like. What about books that are published that maybe not published in an electronic format or they're going to be behind a some sort of a, I'm not a technical person, so I'm going to sound like an idiot when I say this, but, you know, behind some sort of a wall. And the, so you can't necessarily be guaranteed that if you enter some content and it doesn't sh return a hit that it isn't. But I think it speaks to two things. One is to make sure that you're educated about what the best practices are around making sure that your own content is original. And the second thing is to have discipline when you're creating so that you are paying attention and tracking your sources and the references. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it is not to say that we shouldn't be going and researching and reading what other people have written on the topic that we are writing about to inform our own thinking. You know, in school, we are taught you go and research and you read the encyclopedia and you write a report on it. You write a book report. Um, you're reading and you're interpreting and you're creating your own original content based on the inputs so you need to still do that, but there are some basics. So on the educational piece, um, it is not enough to 
assume that you can copy a paragraph, paste it into your Word document or vellum or wherever you're doing your, wherever you're writing your manuscript, and to change a few words. That's not enough. Um, it really does need to be original. It's almost like you need to, getting down to the nitty gritty, you know, you read some source information and you put it away and then you write your paragraph or, or section having read it, but not working with exactly the text, I, you know. Yeah, and, and I guess as much detail as you can pull out from your heart and your mind and your memory banks of exactly what you are trying to convey, you know, the pencil, the color of the ink was red as opposed to blue, those details, which is part of your creative writing, will make it yours and original. Yeah, you know, and, and I was just going back to thinking about the cookbook thing and the, the examples of those two passages. Now, the other thing is that we are going to have similar experiences to other people. So in the kitchen, how many people do you think had a plastic tray for condiments? It's Everybody. not unusual <laughs> to have a plastic tray for condiments. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's not unusual that it'll have spices and oils. And yeah. so, so that's not it. But how... Similar is the phrasing, is the descriptor, is the, you know, uh, all, all of that kind of thing. So it really does speak to being diligent, as I've said, and then being educated, educating yourself. Yeah. And, and, and so the copyright laws uh, exist for the reason of protecting our original material and whatnot. And so there are some some notions in copyright law, like fair use, fair dealing in copyright. What What is that all about? Yeah, so that's great. And I, just before we go to fair use and fair dealing, you're great. You're making me think of another uh, point, which is um, part of that being aware and and educating oneself as an author is that um, copyright is not something that you have to apply for. Copyright exists. You have copyright over your work the moment it is affixed. You cannot copyright an idea, but once it is affixed, and that's either in your computer, in a recording, in your Word document, handwritten, and, and you know, if it's written down in an or created in an affixed manner, the copyright is automatically yours if it's original the the notion of registering your copyright is only to protect yourself and make it easier to defend yourself in the event you discover that you think your copyright has been infringed the registration of the copyright is not what gives you the copyright copyright happens automatically yeah copyright is not the piece of paper the registration is the piece of paper if you will copyright exists period once you document once it's created it's like a, in in music and songwriting as soon as i sing a, a melody and write some words and i capture that either on paper and or a recording that is copyrighted it's 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 a copy it copyright applies yeah. that's right once it's exactly. affixed yeah. and it, it affixed and reproducible yeah uh, so yeah. And then you, the next point was fair use and fair dealing. Yeah. So those are notions and they're, they're different depending on the 
country, um, and off the top of my head, I forget which is which, but I think fair dealing is Canada and fair use is United States. Um, and uh, But so that is a notion that there is a certain amount uh, of content that it is permissible to reproduce for certain purposes. And um, for example, if something is broadcast in for example, we're reading examples from these news stories. Yeah. The purpose of these news stories is for people to consume them. So it is permissible for us in this podcast to reproduce short bits under fair use and fair dealing because they were news. Um, and uh, fair use and fair dealing can also be used to apply if you are using excerpts or quotes from from people, but but it's a gray area, and what might what you might get away with versus what might be defensible in a court of law are often two different things. So I always counsel our authors at Ingenium Books to play it safe, uh, and and uh, rather than cross your fingers and hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there are staying on the, the topic of copyright. And there are some misconceptions about copyright that, uh, uh, that exist or that we, that we know of, um, you know, what are some of the biggest or one of the biggest misconceptions of copyright that, that are around? Well, I mentioned, uh, one already, which is that, um, that you can hope for the best and, you know, if maybe nobody will notice, I didn't really mention that. I just mentioned that now. Um, but, but moving on, there's a notion that, well, if you're commercially, if you're not commercially successful, you're not going to get caught or it doesn't matter. So if you're thinking, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm only going to sell 200 copies of my book, uh, that then it's okay. No one's going to pay attention to it. No one's going to pay attention to it. That's not, that's not a defensible position. And, um, you know, it, it, it's what you can get away with versus what's right. And uh, we would never advocate that you try and go as far as you think you might get away with. And we also believe that you should be aiming for commercial success. But there is an example. Um, we work with nonfiction and it is very common for our nonfiction authors over the last five, six years that, 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 that authors say, oh, I'm going to use that. For example, Brene Brown mm. quote, Brene Brown is very well known. She has, I mean, her, her quotes are, she's written some fantastic stuff. It is quote worthy in the process of securing permission to use the quotes we ask our authors and we assist them when necessary uh, of going through the process of securing permission for any quote and excerpts that they want to use. Brene Brown, right on her website, says she does not extend permission for anyone to use any of her quotes. So you cannot even say, well, I asked permission and they didn't respond, so I'm going to assume it's okay, I'm going to use this quote you can't do that. You, you, well, I should say people do it and they do it all the time. I would argue that in the landscape of being an aware, informed author who would not appreciate 
your work being excerpted or quoted without your permission or borrowed or lifted or anything like that, that you would return the favor and seek and obtain permissions for any of the quotes and excerpts that you would like to use in your book. And if you don't hear a response, you take it out. You know, something that just came to mind, I was just thinking about our lawyer and, and uh, in fact, we have a podcast coming up in a week or so about contracts, which is not specifically copyright. But uh, what made me think of this was, do we get a lawyer to look at some of our stuff sometimes when we think we might be on the edge or we want to be absolutely sure uh, that we're, you know, or, or more sure that we're not getting ourselves in trouble? Is that is that something that we need to think about? I have no idea. And I'm not really sure how other, unless you were saying to the lawyer, to a lawyer, I want you to go and look at all the other possible places where I might've borrowed information from. I'm not sure it really works that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And let's go back to the case of Don Dorland and Sonia Larson, that it was Don Dorland's discovery not hard to do since they traveled in the same writer circles uh, of Sonia Larson's story and reading the story and then being uncomfortable and then pursuing a conversation with the lawyer that eventually ended up in the mess that it's in today. So it wasn't that Sonia Larson could have gone to a lawyer and said, is there any problem with my story? I mean, what's, I I don't really know how that would work, but it's more to your point. It's more about being aware, being informed. And one of the most helpful things that I did that I would encourage any author at any point in their career to do is to take some courses about copyright There's a fantastic organization called copyrightlaws.com. It's an American company, but they do Canadian, international, and U.S. copyright law courses. And they're not all geared towards authors, but copyright applies to intellectual property of all kinds. And so understanding what those laws are, how they work, what is covered by copyright law, what is not, what are the processes that you should go through to make sure that you're doing your due diligence when you are excerpting, wanting to use quotes, you know, how do you do that? That is really powerful um, education. It's not expensive. It doesn't take a ton of time, but it's super helpful. So I would recommend that anytime. Stacking the odds in your favor. Yeah, That's right. Why not? May the odds be ever in your (laughs) favor. (laughs) I was going to go there. Okay, well, that this has been super interesting, and uh, maybe we'll have a follow-up uh, about the uh, resolution or, uh, you know, what's going on, what went on with these two cases if we uh, happen yeah. to find out. I don't know. Yeah, and, you know, apologies to uh, the whoever, the, you know, because I'm sure we I did a terrible job portraying what the scenarios were, but I just, you know, when we were coming across these stories, and it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, I think it's really good time for us to talk about plagiarism and original content and uh and copyright again and um we would rather authors be secure in the fact that all their content is original and that they're not going to get in trouble 
And because we don't want people to be copying our work. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Cool. Well, Bonnie, thanks very much. This has been uh, very interesting. And uh, I guess we'll see you on another podcast pretty soon. We will. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Empowered Author Podcast, please feel free to share it on social media. We'd also be very grateful if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the Empowered Author on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you access your podcasts. That's helpful for us, but more importantly, it's helpful for other indie authors who are looking for resources to help them on their continuous learning journey.